Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast. Joined again to speak by Liam Breen. Liam, how are things? Mighty Mark, really good now. Very good. Took the week off due to work commitments, but we're back with a bang this week anyway. We'll review the first round of the Champions Cup and also Challenge Cup uh, games uh, this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I suppose, Liam, let's start from the start, I suppose, last Sunday. Toulouse, triumphant, 18-13. What was your reaction uh, to that uh, performance from Munster? Yeah, it was, it was fairly baltic. And in that second half, it was it was a struggle to actually see there in the pitch, that's for sure. I think a lot of people come away, actually, quite happy with the performance, even though it was a defeat. It was a close, close defeat. Certainly in the first half, we gave as good as we got. Toulouse, I think, just a power told in the game and they were a bit more savvy. But, you know, yeah, put it in perspective there, probably Leinster, La Rochelle, Saris and, and them, Toulouse, are, are the top teams in the competition. And you're at a different level again. And I, at least we, we, we're kind of aiming to get there. And we just need to a bit be a bit more learning as we go and uh, how to maybe want to control our, our game. Yeah, I'd agree, Liam. Last time we spoke, it was before the Edinburgh rugby game. Pretty much a season-defining performance on from Munster Rugby on that occasion, securing the, the bonus point in Edinburgh. So there had been a good upturn in form. Three wins in a row, if you want to consider the South African 15 game as a form guide. But again, this is kind of different levels, as you say here, to lose our, a magnificent side, a complete juggernaut when it comes to European Cup rugby. Look at the personnel that they had on duties. But in fairness to Munster, these are the games where you evaluate yourself in terms of where you are and weaknesses will get exposed. I suppose we can go through them in due course here, Dean. But I mean, it was a great start for Munster. I mean, tried to get on the front foot. And I mean, some very promising passages of play here. Nice cohesion in terms of three quarters, culminating with the try from Joey Carberry after about nine minutes. Yeah, yeah, I did. But I suppose if we just go back a bit... You know, I I I felt we had a very good first half. We actually won an early scrum, which led to a penalty that Joey I think ticked off the post. And again, that 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 kind of thing goes that goes anywhere, you know. But yeah, um, the try it was a smashing try, I must say. Um, good carries again. Coombs to me was very prominent. <laughs> like pretty much almost laid it on the plate, like for whoever was coming after to 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 go over. Yeah, so that was a good try for Joey and a good start, 7-0. Absolutely, uh, I thought in the build-up as well, Shane Daly, Niall Scannell, there's some super carries there leading up to that try and some good quick rock ball as well. But I suppose one of the lessons here from Munster Rugby's perspective and Graham Rountree was probably quick to point that out in the post-game interview with RTE was access, access to Munster's 22. And it didn't take long for Toulouse to gain access to Munster's 22 and by God Liam uh, did they make that count uh, with the try for Levitt uh, it was a, a, I thought a very nice move and particularly Thomas Ramos was very instrumental in that try Ramos between between he, he's a, 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 in the line and he, his goal kicking and everything was immense all day but yeah it was it was a really really class try Br- brilliant move you'd end Mac going out the back Capuzzo Ramos and it like absolutely magnificent pass from Ramos and uh, he went over yeah Lebel uh, that was a tremendous try yeah tremendous try and I mean look at the lead up before Ramos gets the ball 
uh, to lose again. They're mall. We're kind of showing signs of kind of strength here. And I mean, they had a free playoff after Monster infringing in the mall. So, I mean, all told, didn't need the officiating advantage from Mr. Ridley. But again, DuPont, I thought was absolutely magnificent during the contest here, making that trademark break around the fringes. And only for a Calvin Nash uh, last-ditch tackle, Munster could have been down uh, a bit immediately afterwards. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There you go with, 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 um, with Dupont um, quickly around the rock there. And um, he found Ramos again. You know, he was there all day. I suppose just Ramos, just uh, the pass was just not uh, accurate enough, really. Um, and we, we survived that, that pass to play. The next lesson learned from Munster is when to play. And when not to play, and I mean, there's a few occasions here where Munster Rugby maybe overplayed a bit in their own half and no better side than to lose to compete, particularly around the breakdown area, to create penalty opportunities. And so it proved on 29 minutes when uh, Jean Klein was penalised for not releasing. And uh, Ramos, just, we know the calibre of Tomas Ramos in terms of his kicking, and it was never in doubt on 29 minutes to put to lose 10-7 in front. And again, a really, really good kick, like, you know what I mean? It's, that stage is getting foggy at that stage as well, like, you know? And, and also the conversion before that was just the most ridiculously good kick, you know, to the, for the con- for conversion. But yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, I suppose in really from Toulouse, you've, you've probably felt from then on the Toulouse were kind of in, in a driving seat. Indeed, but credit to Munster, We've said in this podcast repeatedly this season, the resilience is there within the playing group. And they continue to play most of the rugby here, uh, Liam. Again, we're knocking on Toulouse's try line. I mean, wasn't maybe any real significant kind of try scoring opportunities, but really asking the questions, asking Toulouse for commit defensive sets here and really culminated in a breakdown penalty for Toulouse, which uh, Joey Carberry slotted over on 38 minutes and I suppose fully deserved given the few minutes prior where Munster were probing for that uh, elusive uh, gain line break. Yeah, um, as I said, we, 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 we kind of, um, there was a few penalties that kind of went against us there um, in that last, I suppose, 10 minutes and that half there. But um, yeah, we, we were better in attack, all right, that's for sure. I think it's just that at the breakdown, they the Toulouse's were just the defensive line was just packed, big, big lads, right in the line. <laughs> so chronologically, we couldn't really make much, uh, much headway ourselves. Yeah, certainly, I think Toulouse after the first twenty minutes did make adjustments, and then actually adjust to the officiating style of Mister Ridley as well. Maybe much to the consternation of a few Munster supporters in Toman Park. From where I was looking at it, uh, it was kind of. Uh, some of the supporters were getting a little bit infuriated, but again, all credit to lose. They were showing, or to lose, they were showing their experience. They were showing their nails really to adjust their game plan, and really the offside kind of was really kind of on that borderline. But given the officiating, basically the defensive, the high line speed here, I think Munster's attacking play got stifled pretty much after minute thirty here. And I think, uh, in all honesty, here Liam, maybe it's a lesson learned for Munster in terms of in-game management within the squad and within the players here um, to kind of evolve game plans uh, as we go through a game. Yeah, well, it's, it's like, it's more a case of like watching the ref and see what, what the ref is letting you get away with. And, and Toulouse were certainly happy to be like on the, the bordering offside for the rest of the game there. And that's that's how, that's how you play the ref in, in, in a sense. So it was 10 all at halftime, uh, Liam. Very kind of, both teams given as good as they got. 
physicality well up there. And I suppose expectation level, I suppose, within Tom Park and home support here, they was a monster making a steady start to the third quarter, but quite the opposite happened. Uh, pretty loose pass in midfield, really creating to lose with more great attacking platform here. Antoine Frisch uh, kicking the ball out for five meter line out and we'd already seen the signs from Toulouse's front five particularly uh, that that mall was going to be a, an attacking weapon and kind of saw it proved with Lucas Tulzine scoring in the right corner. Yeah, and he uh, only had the pitch, wasn't he? He only had two or three minutes on the pitch. Yeah, I think he was on very short, yeah. But it's like DuPont's pass, just incredible, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, he literally, obviously, he made that like, you know? I mean, obviously, the, you had Marchand peel off the back of the mall. I felt if it was anyone else there about Bar Dupont, they may have fucked up that try. But no, he had the perfect, the perfect pop, pop get pass to toss in to go over. He's an incredible scrum half, though, isn't he, Liam? Just as a, a game management general there, he makes the right moves at the right time. When it needs to go defensive, when it needs to go aerial, he'll do that. But particularly when he's pack around the front foot like that, making sure and executing to a high level that Toulouse were getting out of here with a try. I thought it was a you know, sensational pass, as you said, and Lucas Tazin scoring. And again, Liam, like I was watching it on the television, and to be fair, the fog was just getting thicker and thicker and thicker as the game wore on. I know you being in the West, um, West Harris here. Yeah, again. so we were looking down at the other end of the pitch, literally. Um, yeah. In, in the second half and to certainly if we're talking about people getting penalties like like <laughs> no chance like for a month you get the penalty would it be just like literally you know just toss a coin like you know because you wouldn't know where you were hitting it but anyway to lose at this stage pretty much we're saying right we're going to play percentage football here and really we're bombarding Munster pretty much with high balls aerial balls competing and really looking to kind of create that kind of game line around Munster's territory, really forcing Munster to really attack from deep. I suppose Munster did have opportunities here, Liam. Uh, none more so when Mike Haley was taken out in the air. And I mean, Mike Haley was very impressive during the game. I think 124 metres was at 14 carries, along with Calvin Nash, also Shane Daly. Back three wise looked very prominent. But again, Rory Scannell hitting a lovely penalty into the corner. And again, another lesson learned, it's that precision, that clinical nature. When you have a team under under the pump, you need to put points on the board. And again, Munster kind of letting off to lose at a critical time here. It's very disappointing in terms of how that set piece went. Yeah, and as I said, we we, we did have, a, um, in those, those crucial minutes there after half time. I mean, look, realistically, any other day, would would a TMO have gotten involved? Would would it have been like a, a yellow card for Hades being taken out of the air? Yeah, you, you'd, you'd be saying yes, absolutely you would. I suppose, look, Frisch, he kind of fecked up a bit of a pass there, you know, when we got good momentum as well. But look, um, we, we went to the corner, but we just, um, we didn't get anything out of it when Joey kicked it. Yeah, again, I just think cohesion against these teams is key. I suppose the good news for Munster was they actually did create opportunities in that third and fourth quarter to score additional tries. But again, it's that execution that was kind of key. But again, I think to lose, we're kind of winning the physical battles here at this stage. So it's probably, uh, I don't know if it being touch harsh here, but I think that's a lesson learned here. If Munster want to get to the top table, 
those sort of opportunities have to be executed um, a bit better. I suppose Tomas Ramos again. What was your reading of this penalty? Jack O'Donoghue uh, essentially kind of running from deep and again was deemed to have held on by Ridley. I mean, Ridley, the referee, seemed to not be hanging around in terms of breakdown decisions. He seemed to be fairly quick on the draw on a few of these penalties and so proof for Toulouse to go 18-10 up. Jack Dunahue, he did kind of get himself isolated on a number of occasions, it has to be said, in the game, um, taking it on too much himself. Yeah, it was it was the key decision, wasn't it, really, you know? He was isolated in front of his own post too, which is <laughs> worse, it's like, <laughs> of all things, like, you know, g- give, me, give me three points, like a give me three points, you know? It's just that composure again, isn't it? That decision-making at the heat of, in the heat of battle. I think, you know, video analysis probably is picking that a little bit. I think our breakdown work at times left a bit to be desired. But again, if ball carrier is going alone, vulnerable, isolated, referee already has his perceptions already painted here in terms of Toulouse winning some turnover ball, particularly in that third quarter. And so it proved there, which I could done who have been deemed to have held on. So, I mean, Ramos wasn't missing all day. And I mean, the conditions, as we said here, were pretty treacherous for kickers. <laughs> in terms of looking even at the post here. So he made it 18-10 for Toulouse. So again, Munster kept on trying to kind of get that elusive gain line break and winning the penalty on 75 minutes, which Joy Carby duly converted, make a one-score game again. But again... Yeah, and, 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 and the losing bonus point as well, I suppose. Yeah, it was up there as well for grabs, yeah. Which I think, Liam, we'd agree... It could be huge come the end of this championship. Oh look, we've seen, we've seen, Mark, we've seen it so often. Some of the only times we've ever lost in Tone Park, really, a lot of it has been we've kicked to the corner when we we had two or three penalty. You know, you know what I mean, penalties. And so I, we were happy, I think, that they did take it at least. Exactly, could have been very bravado esque to kind of go, but I suppose you have to hit percentages this time of year in this competition. As you say, a point here or there could be decisive in making the last 16 or not. So I think from a Munster perspective, given how Toulouse had performed, particularly in their pack, I think it was a smart call for Carby to slot the three points over. And I suppose then we came to the crescendo here, Liam. Antoine Dupont got mad at the match, but he did get Sinbin for a deliberate knock-on. So I suppose these Toulouse colleagues won't be thanking him too much there. There was about three, four minutes there where they had to defend, but... Again, Munster, another lesson learned. Again, not really securing primary possession here, Liam. It all seemed a bit incohesive. And a, maybe a s- smell of panic in terms of maybe the attacking players here. I mean, I, I thought that that was like a, a three-on-one overlap. It wasn't, it wasn't even two-on-one. It was a three-on-one overlap. I, th- I think we were away, basically. I think we were, we were gone. That's an, another big decision, I suppose. What, what else would have happened? I'm not sure... Well, it's going to happen, but I mean, it's certainly his yellow card seemed very, I suppose it was cynical, but they also, Munster didn't get any, you know, extra long penalty out of it or anything like that. Toulouse soaking up the tackles here. I mean, they made 155 tackles to Munster Rugby's 89 during the 80 minutes, which kind of tells you the tale of the tape in terms of even possession and territory were all for Munster. Munster 57% possession, 53% territory. So, Again, the turnover count here is probably the key one from a video analysis perspective. Liam Munster had 15 turnovers versus Toulouse a seven. And again, you know, from that perspective, I felt this game was very much cup rugby esque 
after the 10 minutes again very much tit for tat so it's those accuracy it's those kind of lessons learned in terms of giving away kind of poor penalties they will be punished by the big teams and so it proved here and was probably the decisive reason why Munster were 18-13 losers here. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, we we are time at times there we just coughed up possession too easily as well. Again, pro- probably they were they were just um, too too loose, were just in our faces and just um, not gonna not gonna go away. Yeah, you you look you look back at it and you say, could we have won? The reality is, probably didn't deserve to win. Toulouse just have that uh, that sort of um, that game management and and that ability that, that the great teams I guess have to just do enough um, to go at the, the crucial time for the the breakdowns and to get over the line basically exactly Liam look look at the closers that are coming in for Toulouse like the Cyril Bailly uh, team of Flamand. Uh, Jack Willis, I thought, was superb when he came in. It was rather key in terms of a few t- turnovers and also just his breakdown work was outstanding. I mean, you've guys of that calibre coming on. It's from a Munster perspective, this is where, you know, maybe squad depth is kind of maybe being exposed a little bit. But again, when you have seasoned professionals like this coming in, it kind of really kind of does focus minds here in terms of the. The, the squad profile at the moment here, Liam. We've got enough a lot of kind of young, talented players in here. And again, it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for a few of these uh, younger players to really bet in. I mean, if you think about it, it was Craig Casey's first Champions Cup appearance starting. So, I mean, that's a rather big baptism of fire when you're up against Antoine Dupont. You know, so I think from that perspective, an awful lot of positives here for Munster. But again... Once Munster travels to lose, they're going to have to be much better here. Liam. They're not going to get that territory or possession, particularly in Toulouse. So I think a few of the lessons learned here need to be applied pretty quickly in that fixture after Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I mean, as you, as you point out there, it, the, the young players were, were, were very prominent. But it's it's really some of the old, more senior players that you, you would have been looking in that game to, to close things out. That didn't really happen either. Thought Toulouse did a magnificent job, particularly on Tyburn, particularly in the breakdown. I definitely sense that Toulouse really did focus on that in the lead-up, like Tyburn being a massive weapon for Munster in terms of that breakdown battle. Again, Gavin Coombs had a prominent game throughout, but I mean, again, that first quarter was very prominent, but it's just that Toulouse really did make key adjustments at the right time, so... I think from Munster's perspective, there is, you know, ultimately the loss is disappointing, but there are some positives to take in. But again, it is a reality check for everyone concerned with Munster Rugby that the upturn in form in recent weeks has been pleasing. But again, the decider nowhere near, you know, the level required really to kind of get over the top of teams like Toulouse. And I mean, that's probably a harsh statement, but I think this is the reality of where Munster Rugby want to go. So I think from that perspective, it is a good learning curve and hopefully uh, the lessons will be learned. Liam, just in terms of Munster Rugby, uh, as we record this podcast, there's been a number of contract extensions and confirmation of a departure here in the Munster Rugby playing squad. Munster Rugby delighted to announce that Andrew Conway, Jack Crowley and Jack O'Donoghue are signing new two-year contract extensions that will see them remain at the province until June 2025. Your reaction? Delighted for the three guys to get their to get their contracts. But I mean, 
in all the cases, it does lead to almost to more questions, really, you know, like in the case of Andrew Conway, well, we hope to see Mr. Conway back because um, he hasn't played since last June. So you'd be confident that at least Munster given a three-year contract to um, to him means, you know, that, that he, he should be back in good nick. Um, Jack Crowley, you know, again, excellent that he's got, he's got, he's got himself long-term secure, future secured. That would, I suppose, by extension mean that uh, Ben Healy will be gone at the end of the season as well. And Jack O'Donoghue gets a, gets a contract. And again, maybe if I can say this, uh, I would have liked Jack to maybe have uh, went to uh, Pastors New and and, uh, and and kind of see how he would have gotten on in, in somewhere else. Indeed, Liam. I suppose my reaction to Andrew Conway is, look, is probably reward for you know, a real kind of servant to the, to the ball club. It's 10th season with the co- uh, province here, name, uh, so that can't be underestimated. Some great memories, some great performance from Andrew Conway, and hopefully he gets back from this knee injury. I mean, it's been a pretty serious one uh, since June, so again, hopefully, it, and it adds to the depth chart as well. I suppose you're kind of thinking long-term in terms of Lysa Keith Earls here, in terms of his long-term future with the, the ball club here as well. It'll be interesting just to see, you know, some of the senior personnel. So maybe it's there for an insurance policy for experience and back cover here. Because, I mean, Conway can fill in all the back three positions. So no issues there. Jack Crowley, for me, will be the fascinating one. You know, he signed until June 2025. So that is a big, big statement from RFU and Munster Rugby that Jack Crowley is going to be a long-term ever-present in this team. I saw his cameo at 12. I don't see him as a 12 or 15 here. I do see him at a 10 uh, at the halfback. So what does that imply here to the likes of Joey Carberry, uh, particularly? Um, I would agree with you in terms of Ben Healy. I think that is kind of signaling maybe a bit of a transitional period for Ben. And I don't think there's any fault on the player. I think it's just a case of the player pool. I think decisions have been made here in terms of squad depth chart. And I think Healy's probably below uh, Jack Crowley and Carby at the moment. As for Jack Utonahu, look, he's been ever-present here, uh, Liam. I think he's probably been one of the players of the season for most of rugby so far. I would kind of say longevity-wise, would there be a possibility of Jack Donahue maybe going to be a second row? Just in terms of our back row um, depth chart, just competition for place is going to be huge. And I think just given cover issues at the moment, maybe it's a, maybe an idea in terms of Jack Donahue, look, he has the physicality, everything, to play a bit of a tight burn kind of role that he can go second row, he can go back row. Maybe it's something there uh, to explore, but, I mean, delighted for Jack O'Donoghue. Ever-present, uh, Liam, being in the academy, the one club, ball club man, and, I mean, maybe he's just happy to be in Munster Rugby as well. Maybe he's not looking anywhere else, but, I mean, he's 28 now, uh, another few years. I mean, he's kind of looking at end of career with Munster, so magnificent servant again. So it's great to tie down these guys. And uh, I suppose we can't forget uh, there also was an important ending to that Munster press release. And our fan favourite, John Ryan, is departing the province at the end of uh, January. I suppose, what is your reaction to that, uh, Liam? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a pity for, for Munster rugby, I suppose, that, um, that he's been echoed, but I, I can understand the whole awkwardness of the situation for him coming back in the, in the first place. I, I think it was probably this time last year, before it was literally before Christmas, just before the Christmas fixture against uh, Leinster, that um, he was basically told that he was no longer 
required for 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 going forward for Munster. And then of course you know, um, it worked that 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 he was coming back this season when Wasps unfortunately went into administration and um, he was looking for a club. And Munster at the time had a few injuries, tight head, so it, it was kind of beneficial to both, I guess. But I think we did say at the time that you know, in terms of some sort of security that he should have got at least into the end, the end of the, the current season. That was probably, the, that's the key point. This was very short term. And I'd say given the relationship between the player and the ball club, particularly the lead up to last Christmas and the decision not to offer a contract period to John Ryan, I think this was a business, you know, arrangement, I would say, from player player had to get game minutes keep himself ticking over and I certainly think from a Munster rugby perspective they were in a serious bind in terms of tight ped prop squad depth so I think for the two parties it this has worked out in terms of the last few months he departs at the end of January you should know a hell of a lot in terms of what Munster are going to do in terms of DRC but also in terms of Champions Cup where there is playoff rugby coming to Torman Park potentially in the last 16 so I think John Ryan he owes nothing to Jersey he did play his 50th European cap for Munster. Again, didn't let the side down. I think it's just disappointing here. Just the business side of this, the extension to John Ryan, I would have seen as probably a no-brainer, but obviously not close to the situation. So I think for John Ryan, there's links to Waikato Chiefs in New Zealand. Let's see what confirms there. But, I mean, again, the press release saying that the province offered John a contract extension, but again... From a player perspective, he has to look at his long-term future with his family. And again, if another club comes calling with a better long-term deal, I think to me that is suggesting that maybe business was afoot here before even Munster even approached John Ryan in terms of making a contract extension. So I think it's as disappointing and it puts more pressure onto the tight head prop squad depth again, uh, Liam. And again, it's a kind of another kind of area here for Graham Rountree to really kind of reinforce definitely in some new season signings next season. You'd often wonder who who was making all these signings and, and uh, making all these contract decisions because it's it's not just John Ryan, it's there are other guys who I suppose, let's be honest, are, are, are kind of, on, seem to be out long-term injuries as well. But I mean, the thing with John Ryan is, I mean, this is a guy, he's in the, in the top three tight heads in Ireland. Simple as that, like, you know. We still have uh, in our depth chart a tight head. You know, we we've guys injured. I mean, we, we've we've young, experienced guys, and we have Stephen Archer again, who's probably going to be gone at the end of the season himself. So I mean, it's just it's it's kind of worrying in such a crucial position that lock locks the scrum that we've kind of left ourselves open again. It feels we're we're very vulnerable. I think Stephen Archer will be doing very well to come back even for April, May, if I'm being brutally honest. So it puts more pressure on the guys in the tight head prop position after end of January. So I just wonder here, is there another short-term signing or something there that can be arranged from a Muslim rugby perspective? Because I think the depth chart here could be pretty much exhausted here come March uh, for Muslim rugby, given attrition of the, the role. So I think it's uh, it's a huge concern here, Liam. No point sugarcoating it, but I think Graham Rowntree and the management have to be identifying tight head prop as being maybe a key, key area to literally evaluate and see if any new players can come in to really 
enhance that position because I think it has been a troublesome area at the start of the season. I've never, I've never understood, Mark, why even our, not ourselves, but any other European teams, you know, you're talking tight head props. Yeah. I mean, the most obvious place to go would be somewhere like Georgia, you know. I mean, or Russia and get some some kind of enormous tight head prop that you could come in and mould even, you know. That that you know, you don't have to be going out and spending a million bucks on a tight head. There are there are guys like around like that. I think that's where your scouting network comes in, Liam. And maybe is this maybe an issue here for Munster Rugby? particularly identifying tight head prop talent even beyond Ireland looking as you say into European and even Americas here uh, to a certain extent so uh, I think that is kind of going to be a key area of improvement for Munster really I think identifying some kind of front row depth chart here certainly uh, going into next season but I suppose we wish John Ryan all the best anyway it's a Sad to hear that he's departing the province at the end of January, and I suppose really, and truly, just given the career-wise, it's probably um, a farewell for John Ryan, really. Um, I wouldn't expect him back in Munster jersey post-January, uh, so all the best to John. Both Munster's next opponents are Northampton Saints here, uh, Liam, in Franklin Gardens. In terms of the Heineken Champions Cup uh, this weekend or last weekend, uh, went to the reigning European champions, La Rochelle, and got absolutely thumped 46-12, 32-0 down at halftime, Bonus point for La Rochelle already in the bag by that stage. I suppose from head coach Dawson's perspective, demanding more from the players was the immediate aftermath. But I mean, Liam, from a Munster rugby perspective, this is a team that surely can be got at. The fact that, you know, it's so tight now in, in the European games that if you start with zero points, if you get no points whatsoever in your opening fixture, you are really then playing catch up for the rest of the time, big time. I think, you know, if we look at Northampton, you know, honestly, I think we'd be happy if all the English teams, I think they probably are the weakest by far. We'd have to be aiming to get wins home and away against Northampton. I would agree with you there. They're sitting kind of middle of the table at the moment in the Gallagher Premiership. And four wins to their name this season in the Gallagher Premiership. I think from that perspective, the form hasn't really kind of set a light per se. But I think the manner of the, the result here was kind of pretty shocking uh, to head coach Phil Dawson. I mean, an absolute legend of the game for Northampton. And again, he said they were 40 minutes late. But that doesn't really kind of indicate anything here. I mean, from a Northampton perspective, I suppose the only good news that I can say is they welcome back Courtney Laws for the first time in two months off the bench uh, in the second half. So you'd imagine that Courtney Laws will be playing against Munster on Sunday afternoon in Franklin Gardens. But I mean... It was pretty routine stuff for La Rochelle here. Like Sabrice Doulan, Pierre Bougaret. Uh, again, Gregory Aldrich charging, charging down a clearance to score a fifth try. It really was fairly routine stuff here for La Rochelle. Again, Northampton providing little in the way of resistance here. Look, uh, I suppose La Rochelle again, like, you know, you talk about, um, they've made a big statement for the opening weekend that they're going to be there defending their title. And they made a statement. I guess we can say that Leinster also made a, a massive statement as well. Those are sort of teams that are going to be up at the top of European rugby for the next season or two, anyway. Exactly. So, I mean, I think it will be interesting from a Munster rugby perspective to see the team selection. I know team news is there's been no new injury concerns for Graham Rountree and the management to contend with post that to lose 18-13 loss. So I suppose... We'll be seeing maybe some cohesion or familiarity in terms of that 23-man squad. 
And I suppose from Northampton Saints, what do you do if you're Phil Dawson? Do you give these players another opportunity to impress or do you run the changes? So, I mean, you are looking down through that side. There's a, a few guys there like Alex Waller. You see Ludham there, who's featured for England. I mean, you throw in the likes of Hill, Fernbank as well as had England appearances. So, I mean, it is a talented side. And, I mean, they showed last season against Ulster that they're well capable of producing some stunning rubbing when the game opens up. So, I mean, from a Munster perspective, it's probably that fine balance in terms of when to basically create the expansive game and when not to. So I think from that perspective, it could be a fascinating clash here uh, in Frankston's Gardens on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I'd say about, about uh, Northampton, if I can remember rightly. Last season, they had some cracking games against Ulster Yeah. Um, as well. So they are a very a team that really like to open you up um, with their rugby. And Franklin's Gardens is still, you know, a tough enough place to go. And as I said, if they have their talisman, as ours is, would be like the likes of O'Mahony or Byrne, their talisman is certainly Courtney Laws. And I mean, like, quite frankly, if he's in playing... <laughs> There's definitely a big percentage drop in their in their performance as well, but um, they're look they're they're a proud uh, club, mad rugby town. So you know, home fixture they're going to be up for it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, European Cup rugby is probably on the line here for Northampton Saints very quickly this Sunday. No result here, you can count goodbye in terms of Champions Cup, and you would even argue here Challenge Cup as well to a certain degree. Munster should be coming in here with a little bit of confidence given that to lose game. Again, lessons will have to be learned, obviously, but I think it's an intriguing game here, Aileen. Two sides that are probably kind of looking to kind of find their level and kind of move up to the, the higher pecking order this season. It could be a key result for either team leading into the festive period, so it'll be an interesting game in Franklin Gardens on Sunday. I suppose kind of departing from that first round of Champions Cup and maybe Challenge Cup for that matter. What other games maybe caught your eye here, uh, Liam, a little bit last weekend? Well, just just in terms of results, I, I you'd have to say probably the most impressive of all is Exeter going away to cast, denying them any points whatsoever. You know, that's that was probably, in some respects, the performance of the round. I also thought Edinburgh did quite well, you know, 30-26 loss to... Uh, Saracens and and they were pretty much in it for most of the game. So that that's that's also stands out as well. And in terms of um just end to end stuff, probably that that thirty nine thirty one win for the Sharks against Harlequins stood out like an actual performance wise. I know Antoine Dupont really wasn't too complimentary in terms of South African teams entering into the competition. But to be fair, Liam. These fixtures, particularly in December, particularly in South Africa, heading into the summer in South Africa, are going to throw a different dynamic to this competition. And I think it's required. So I definitely agree with you there. I thought Sharks, Harlequins is an absolutely magnificent fixture. I think Harlequins are very unlucky not to come away with anything, uh, truth be told. I can't wait for that return fixture in the stoop uh, uh, after Christmas. I suppose you have to laud Leinster Rugby. You give them the travel chaos that ensued in that Leinster logistics team on Friday to get the team over to La Havre. I think it was a magnificent performance. Now Racing 92, their discipline was completely off the charts but take nothing away from Leinster. I thought that was a superb 42-10 win against a, a team on paper that looked like one of the top teams in European Cup probably. Yeah, but again, I mean if we could just start with this, why was the fixture played in La Havre? <laughs> because it was a concert booked for the stadium. Like, I mean, 
Money, money, money. You know, yeah, but the thing is, I mean, you're giving away such a massive um, opportunity. You know, Racing, you're opening European Cup game to go somewhere that really, you know, you've no absolutely association with whatsoever. That'd be like Munster going to, I don't know, Westport or somewhere, you know, to play a fixture. It's just, you'd have to question the club of Racing for, for doing such a thing and for in the first place. But in terms then of the yeah, the performance, it was an excellent performance from Leinster. I mean, Racing were, were never, never in, in that and scored six excellent tries. Van der Fleer, very prominent. She and such power. Gibson Park. On, on his day, he's almost unplayable. He's passes. I mean, there was one massive pass there. I think he, it was like, not just a cutout pass, it was like uh, for Sheehan's try he cut out about six players <laughs> with that one pass, that loop pass. It was incredible, yeah. I think in terms of the physicality, how they approached the game, many other teams in their situation, particularly on the travel arrangements, could have really lowered their performance. But I think this Leinster rugby outfit are just, their mental mindset is just absolutely sensational. And I think from a Leinster rugby perspective, I thought massive, massive kudos goes to their pack. Last season, we talked about Jason Jenkins and, you know, the injury woes that he had. And you're seeing the Jason Jenkins here of true note here. I mean, massive, massive shift put in for 55 minutes uh, against Racing 92, along with his colleagues, James Ryan. Again, front row, I thought front five boys were completely dominant. And then... I think for Gibson Park, you know, it must have been a joy to actually play, you know, behind that pack because racing were literally in sixes and sevens, at two sin bins. And I thought just the clinical nature from Leinster to really punish racing that 92 when they're down to 14 players was rather key and they never let up. Particularly, I know Christian Wade scoring that late try for racing 92 after a good pass from Finn Russell. But that was the only real involvement you saw of Finn Russell. But then Leicester come down the other end of the pitch and Josh van der Fleer uh, completes the route uh, with that sixth try. And I think Ross Byrne as well at 10, Liam. He, he's sending a massive statement to Andy Farrell and the Irish management. If you want an assured number 10 backup to Johnny Sexton, I think look no further than Ross Byrne in these last few weeks. Yeah, you, you do. You do wonder at times about him. Should he be higher of the pecking order? Because... He's kind of a he's a guy who has done quite well, but he's also in the Leinster system. Like he he's he's basically the backup to to Johnny Sexton, and he can play very effectively the Leinster game when when he's called upon. So he certainly is one to I suppose like you know I mean really after Johnny Sexton, really and truthfully, it's like who's who's the second choice and and that's still up in the air so he should still definitely be be one of the options i think he's very much a live option at the moment given injury concerns to kieran frawley uh i think ross Byrne is going to get a bit of game minutes over the festive period as well particularly against munster and ulster so i think from that perspective it should be quite a promising few weeks for ross Byrne here to get himself Back onto that uh, international setup. I suppose from my perspective, I was stunned watching Ulster Rugby play Sale Sharks. Now, there's a case study here. Leinster Rugby and Ulster Rugby had travel issues getting to their venues away. And where one basically took that travel issue and literally went for it 
and delivered a performance. I thought Ulster Rugby after the week before and that collapse against Leinster Rugby. Again, it just looked as if hadn't recovered and Sale Sharks winning with first phase possession for a few of the tries. This was a horror show from Ulster Rugby from start to finish. Uh, well, a home tie against La Rochelle next. I think Dan McFarlane and Ulster Rugby squad are suddenly under massive pressure. Yeah, and uh, the, the thing was, funny enough too, you know, I mean, I suppose it was the manner of the defeat was surprising because they always going away to take to say it was going to be I suppose tough enough but 39 nil is like compete capitulation really there's no other way of saying it like you know and it is a disgrace to your to your club unfortunately as we said Ulster they kind of are the nearly men you know they have arguably more talent than Connacht and uh, and Munster available they can pretty much go out and buy whatever Springbok did they wasted the name <laughs> You'd have to question for the rest of the season now because, I mean, of all the fixtures to play La Rochelle, I know they're playing them at home, but, like, play La Rochelle. If you don't win that, your your season is all up. And, but, like, again, to, to go, to lose, to to get 19 points, to lose that lead and to come away without a, even a bonus point loss away to Leinster, like, just, it's, I think it's a mental thing. There's no, there's no like the quality of players there. The the physicality of the of the players that Ulster have is immense. It's definitely uh, mentally in the club. There's there's something not quite there that they just can't get over the line. They they're, again they're they're nowhere near winning anything this season. No, I think the week before was just a massive massive letdown in the context of their season. They had Leinster where they needed them at halftime. Keane Healy getting sent off. Everything was leading to a, an Ulster rugby win in RDS, but it was just a manner of it, uh, Liam. In terms of the pack, Leinster galvanised really on the front foot. And really, who are the leaders in this Ulster rugby side? That, I think, is going to be the key challenge this week if you're Dan McFarland. Who are the leaders on and off, this, off the pitch here for this uh, Ulster rugby setup? Because, to be perfectly honest, we saw nothing in terms of Ulster as an attacking force here. 139 metres gained for the whole 80 minutes team versus 517 for Sale Sharks. And to be perfectly fair, some of the tries that were conceded, I think if you were under 12, I think you'd be you'd be given a few words from your coach with some of the missed tackles and just a complete misreads, you know, for a few of these first phase position tries. Come on. I mean, this is Champions Cup here and I don't know here, Dean. I think there's massive question marks in terms of management and what was happening in terms of the Ulster squad the week leading up to this game because Sale Sharks, second at the Gallagher Premiership, Alex Anderson is doing an incredible job at Sale Sharks. And I think, to be brutally honest here, Liam, the mental preparation here, I think, is a massive issue here for, Len- or for Ulster. And, I mean, the performance then followed uh, suit. So I think for Dan McFarren as well, there's maybe questions to answer here. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, again... You said like if you get nothing from your first game, you're you're in you're in big trouble in Europe and confidence, I suppose too. That's the key thing, isn't it? Really, yeah, too. Confidence um, can be shot to pieces on the back of performances like that. Going to this weekend, you always have said before, Ulster fight night, Ulster back all the way, but they'll be nervous. La Rochelle would be would be sniffing that, and they'll be sniffing a victory. No better man than Raj to. To engineer another 
this was famous victory for, for La Rochelle. The only thing here is, Liam, from an Ulster rugby perspective, they can't get any worse. And I felt so sorry for any Ulster rugby fans that travelled, have made the travel chaos to get to the game and to see that performance. The only way is up here for Ulster rugby. I mean, they have to respond in some shape or form. Now, La Rochelle coming to Kingspan, it's a season-defining game. I mean, it's a bit like Northampton Saints. I mean, they don't win this game. I think good luck and thanks is when it comes to Champions Cup because I don't know if Ulster are getting a result in La Rochelle after Christmas. So I think it's imperative for Ulster to A, get a performance, get the home support on side here. And then they can maybe evaluate uh, a result or a win at that stage. It was just so lacklustre in so many aspects here, Liam, that it can only improve here from an Ulster perspective. And I mean, you're leading into a very competitive, aggressive, festive period. They have Connacht on the 23rd, who are progressively improving. And they had a very convincing win against the Newcastle Falcons here in the sports ground last weekend. We're going into a bit of form. And also they have... Uh, Munster, which to me, for those two provinces, is going to be a make make or break game for next year. So I think from that perspective here, Liam, the tide has to be arrested a little bit here from an Ulster rugby perspective. And, but it's nothing easy going to be handed out, uh, particularly with La Rochelle in town. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, I said it already, you know, in, in the podcast today. I think Ulster have better players than, than Munster, right? <laughs> On paper, you know. But I mean, it must be so frustrating to be an Ulster supporter for him to always kind of have some of those um, crazy sort of performances um, during, during during the season. But like, you look, they have to get something, backs are to the wall, they have to win. You would hope that the relevant conversations were had at the start of this week leading up to that La Rochelle game because everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to be on the same hymn sheet in terms of getting a performance right. I thought pack-wise, it was a pretty disastrous performance when you've seen the likes of Vermeulen getting Sinbin for that. I mean, I, I, I thought on paper, Ulster's pack kind of complemented fairly well to what Sale Sharks would provide. But again, Sale Sharks have shown here, Dean, you know, that they have an appetite for Heineken Champions Cup. They had a few notable wins last season and they continue in the same vein in the Gallagher Premiership this season. And as I said, I really do respect Alex Anderson as a head coach here, a very ambitious head coach. And I think the players are really buying into this. And I mean, when you have the likes of Tom Curry there in the forefront here, I think it's good things are happening in Sale Sharks. But we'll see the true Sale Sharks here because they have to travel to lose this weekend, which I think is probably one of the best ties of the round here. And I suppose maybe we can get to that here, uh, Liam, in terms of round two of the Champions Cup. Uh, looking at it, on Friday night, we have Bordeaux-Beglaise against Sharks and Leinster entertaining Gloucester, I suppose. Who do you fancy in those two games? Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think Leinster have played Gloucester too often in the European Cup. So, I, I look, you'd have to say Leinster at home. Bonus point win. Can, kind of handy enough against uh, Gloucester. Um, I would I would say, too, yeah, that... Um, you know, it's a Friday night in France. Again, though, I think I think uh, as um, that Sharks have a good good opportunity to come away with something here. We come away with an actual with a victory, and yeah, I I tip them to slightly get over the line, like four or five points. I think it's going to be interesting here just to see the form line because Gloucester played Bordeaux Begley's in King's Home last weekend. Gloucester triumphing twenty two seventeen. So Bordeaux Begley's securing that loser bonus point. 
which is so coveted, particularly in the opening round. Now, they do play the South Sea Sharks here, who uh, did basically uh, have a superb win last week. Now, I suppose against Harlequins, I suppose the key question here is the the, the turnaround time, the travel, the logistics here for South Sea Sharks. But I mean, if this is going to be a packed battle, this is going to be a phenomenal battle here. I'd probably just edge this to Bordeaux Begley's just marginally. I think the Sharks are going to learn valuable lessons here in terms of European Cup competition, particularly in France on a Friday evening. I think it's a different kind of level element in terms of the competition. I think maybe Bordeaux Begley's here by maybe less than seven points. But I suppose Leinster Gloucester here, I, I do really fear for Gloucester in terms of that performance of Bordeaux Begley's. I just thought that there was an awful lot of areas here that Gloucester really need to tighten up on, particularly defensively. And I think Leinster here coming after that win against Racing 92 will be well buoyed here. And I think nothing short of a maybe a, a comprehensive win here. I think and maybe Leinster by 20 or 30 here, to be truthfully honest. And again, there's rumours that Johnny Sexton may be starting here. And again, you're having that to kind of contend with from a Gloucester perspective. I mean, I don't know where Gloucester kind of go from it to kind of win this match. I think they just have to compete and just hope for that Leinster have an off night. But that doesn't typically happen too often. Saturday, uh, we have extra Chiefs against the Bulls. My God, that's a crazy game down in Sandy Park. Edinburgh, Edinburgh playing cast. We have Leon Saracens. Leicester against Clermont Auvergne, who are no strangers to each other. Ulster La Rochelle. Uh, Stormers, London Irish. We have Montpellier Ospreys. And we also have Toulouse and Sale Sharks. I suppose we'll start with Exeter and Bulls. God, that will be a packed battle. To beat the band, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> there'll be nothing going beyond ten there. I can. I can I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the other guys may as well just like go into the into the stand, like you know, and watch it all. I thought that Exeter, you know, was a standout performance there last week, and at Sandy Park, definitely would think that uh, Exeter can do the business against the Bulls. Potentially, the Bulls might get the loose and bonus point win. Um, I would say that much, but yeah, Exeter definitely to get four points. I think Exeter Chiefs have set their stall out. I think they really want to have a real go at the Champions Cup this season. The Gallagher Premiership form has been a little bit indifferent. But again, they've, they've games to kind of pull that back. But I think definitely this is a competition that really whets the imagination and appetite of Exeter Chiefs fans and also management and players. So it was great to see Jack Knoll, Stuart Hogg. I mean, they were in full flow there, particularly in that second half against Cast. And all credit to Exeter Chiefs. I mean, that Cast pack is always fundamentally very strong and very robust. But I thought Exeter Chiefs played that absolutely beautifully. I think Bulls, on the other hand, uh, it could be interesting. I mean, they had a classic 42-36 win over Leon, But again, the fact of the matter is they're going to give scoring opportunities away to Exeter. I think Exeter will win. Bulls' best chance here is maybe getting a kind of a, a bonus point, four tries, but I don't see it out. I think Exeter win by 10-14. Uh, Edinburgh has... Yeah, I mean, look, I was very impressed with Edinburgh and away to Saracens. They, 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 they kind of butchered a few opportunities. They should have actually won that game in the end. Cast, if they lose, they're they're pretty much out. And I think that they're they're going to be the first team that's going to be um, all but eliminated after two sets of games. I think Edinburgh at home, they certainly away against uh, Saracens. They they fronted up far more and they improved from where they were against against Munster, and I think that improvement will continue. So Edinburgh to win by ten. I think from a cast perspective, they're traditionally known for 
putting on an awful lot of fringe squad players out on the road against Edinburgh, a very cold Edinburgh at that. I think cast team selection is dictating me to me that Edinburgh should win this game. I think Edinburgh's objective here is to get a bonus point Troy win. Not always easy against Cast, but if they can get an early foothold in the game, they did show against Munster Rugby, particularly in the first 10 to 20 minutes. They're well capable of creating line breaks, so hopefully a good start from Edinburgh. I think Cast really have no interest in this competition if they do lose against Edinburgh, and I think that's great news for Edinburgh and extra Chiefs going into after Christmas as well, that there could be potential five points there for the Chiefs and also Edinburgh Rugby. So yeah, Edinburgh for me by 15 points in a uh, bonus point win, hopefully. Uh, Leon Saracens, again, this looks a very tasty fixture, particularly if Leon do field a, a fairly strong lineup, which I think will happen given that South African trip last weekend. Leon, I think it's going to be kind of a high enough scoring game, and it's going to be absolutely almost nothing in it in the end. I think I think Leon will kick their way and maul their way to victory against Saracens. So I'm thinking three or four points uh, to to beat Saracens. Leon at home, this is definitely one where they may really try to prove a point to Saracens. Yeah, I would think that the pack battle is going to be phenomenal here, uh, particularly. Saracens disappointed me a little bit against Edinburgh Rugby. I thought Edinburgh left that behind them last weekend to a certain degree. I think Edinburgh's video analysis will be one of regret because they definitely did control an awful lot of exchanges during that match. Uh, I mean, it was a narrow loss to Saracens, but I mean, Saracens know that they have to improve this probably twofold to really get a result against Leon. I would go with you here, uh, Liam. French sides at home are always a tough proposition. I think a marginal two, three point win here for Leon. Leicester Tigers against Clermont Auvergne. No strangers to each other after last season. Uh, are we fancying Leicester here to beat Clermont? So they, these these two are always sort of up really cracking games between each other, I have to say. But um, yeah, I would definitely would have to say the, the, the Tigers to get the victory against Clermont. Again, I, I think both sides will will score four tries. Um, so I think I think that they'll, they'll get bonus points for that. I think Leicester will just about get maybe the seven point win against Clermont. Claremont had a good opening win against the Stormers, 24-14, which is probably a marquee result given Claremont's performances in Europe in recent years. But I suppose you're looking at this fixture a little bit. I mean, Leicester Tigers, particularly Welford Road, are, are a, a pretty much a different animal. And I, I think, to be perfectly fair, they struggled against the Ospreys last weekend, got the six-point win, 23-17, Leicester beating the Ospreys last Sunday. I suspect Steve Borwick and the Leicester Tigers team, particularly with all this talk of Steve Borwick taking over as England coach, I think this will basically resonate with both management and also players to really produce a coherent performance. I'm thinking here 14, 15 points here for Leicester Tigers. I think this is uh, probably a bonus point win here for Leicester here. Ulster La Rochelle, we've kind of talked about it a little bit at length here during the podcast. Do you see any hope for Ulster against La Rochelle at home? Oh yeah, of course you do. Yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to. Um, you know, I mean, put it this way: for Irish sides to go to France, you know, and and the toughness, how tough to get is there. You would also nearly have to say the toughest, you know, away fixtures for the French sides is arguably coming to to Ireland, the Irish fixtures. You know, I th- I think Ulster have to they have to improve. I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to getting, you know. 
four, scoring four or five tries and getting a bonus point win that way. But I think it'll be something on the lines of 23, 13 or 14. So I think Ulster can actually prevent La Rochelle getting a losing bonus point. I think this is intriguingly balanced. I think La Rochelle coming in Highland confidence, to be honest, not really getting a serious game off Northampton versus Ulster being blanked by uh, Sale Sharks. So I think from an Ulster perspective, they have to really stand up and fight here to a certain extent. And I mean, get the performance right first and then result comes second. So I think this will be tough for, uh, for, for both teams, I think. But I think particularly for Ulster, particularly if La Rochelle make a very fast start here. I'm going to tip La Rochelle here. I'm just thinking that there's so much confidence issues here. When your head coach is even admitting that there's confidence issues, that's, to me, you have to protect your players. And the fact that he's come out and admitted that is a serious concern, I would say, if, I'm a, if I was a player for Ulster Rugby. You have to deflect all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I hope Ulster win, but I just don't see it at the moment. I think La Rochelle will get the job done, probably three, six points. And, I mean... That really, you know, this could be very season-defining for Ulster. Stormers, London Irish, could be a could be a bit of a tri-fest here, I think. Yeah, tied around, tied around, definitely, <laughs> definitely what I'd be looking at. Like, you know, you could be you could be arguing, you know, you have the Stormers, the most exciting URC side, and and Irish, who are always traditionally the most exciting, up well up there with with Queens, to be fair, as the most exciting uh, English sides. So yeah, it's gonna be good. It is gonna be it is gonna be high scoring for sure. They'll both easily get the bonus points. Um, I think I think you're looking at maybe 35-30 for Stormers over over Irish. I'd agree with you there. I think there'll be plenty of line breaks. Get the popcorn out. I think that's probably the key game here. At you know, I, I think if you're looking for excitement and expansive rugby, I think this is the one that ticks all the boxes. But I think from a Stormers perspective, Disappointing against Clermont Auvergne, but I suppose learning a lesson in terms of European Cup rugby and particularly f- facing a French side away, it's a very difficult proposition. So I think an awful lot of lessons have been learned here by the Stormers. But again, coming back to home in South Africa, I think this will be um, it'll be a good tie. Uh, I think definitely tries here. I'd probably go five eight points for the Stormers. Eight p.m. Montpellier against the Ospreys. Ospreys pretty competitive against Leicester Tigers. Do we see any chance for the Ospreys pulling up an upset against Montpellier? Uh, not really either. You you couldn't back like before. You couldn't back against certain teams. Now you can't back for <laughs> the Welsh regions at all, with the honourable exception of the Dragons, who had a good good, good uh, performance against uh, the Lions in Johannesburg. They also had a good win at Montpellier. They had a six point win away in London Irish. There was a guy there, of course, Zach Mercer got two tries. Probably of all the English players abroad. He'd be the guy I'd be kind of saying, you know, the folly of of not being able in World Cup year to pick a few of your players based abroad. Definitely, um, he's an outstanding player. Uh, yeah, I think Montpellier will easily win by twenty twenty five points. Yeah, likewise. Uh, hopefully, Ospreys do produce a performance very similar to Leicester Tigers. Now, Montpellier at home, you know that packed platform, that physicality. It's there for everyone to see. So hopefully Ospreys will be competitive, but I can't see anything other than a bonus point win here from Montpellier. And probably I'd say the 10-15 kind of point spread is probably going to be uh, achieved there. We then have a Sunday, about two games on tap. First one is to lose against Sale Sharks. And given Sale Sharks 
dominant performance against Ulster Rugby and to lose winning at Tom Park just looks like one of the intriguing ties of the round. Yeah, very tasty, isn't it? It's going to be very tasty indeed. Seal Sharks, um, certainly the, the Axis is very funny with the, the brothers, the, two, the three Dupree's brothers, Axis. <laughs> the almost telepathic nature um, certainly is coming in handy these days as well. And as you said, a very up-and-coming coach. Yeah, I, I, I think this is going to be a very, very intriguing game. I would still probably say Toulouse to get the victory. I think that they will probably score four tries, but I also think the same thing for, for Sale Sharks. So I think in the end, an eight-point victory for Toulouse. Form lines will be well and truly defined after this game, uh, Liam. Just shows, you know, we were kind of critical in terms of maybe Toulouse's attacking play that they had Munster at arm's length, but maybe is there more genuine concern here from a Toulouse perspective with ball on hand? So... I think Sale Sharks will be very competitive, particularly in the breakdown. You have Tom Curry there. Two priests have been absolutely superb this season for Sale Sharks. And as I said, under a very ambitious head coach in Alex Anderson, they will not be fearing going to Toulouse here. They've gone to various other grounds in the last season or two and produced very keynote performances. I recall Sale Sharks having a good performance against Clermont Auvergne. I know the result didn't go their way, but they were certainly not overawed by Clermont or Vern away. So I think similar here. Uh, I think this would be maybe closer than most people expect here. I think maybe to lose by five points here because I think there's something about the Sale Sharks team this year. The young profile of the team, an ambitious head coach, their progressive team, second in the Gatter Premiership. I think they'll give this a right go, but I think to lose, I think your Antimax, your DuPonts at key stages and Ramos will definitely... Uh, secure the win here for Toulouse and keep them in a great position going into Christmas. And I suppose the final game here is Northampton Saints against uh, Munster Rugby. Uh, evenly poised, I would say, Liam. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, I think we can go re- with real uh, confidence next Sunday um, for, 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 the, for the victory. You know, we, we, we still have areas to improve for sure, but we have a backline functioning now as well. Joey was certainly more up to speed in, in the game there at the weekend. And we always have a, a ferocious breakdown and uh, back row. And, you know, we always have the option, too, of, of going to the mall. So you have those attacking options. And I think we'll just about have enough for Northampton in the second half. I think we'll win by six points. Do you think a bonus point here, Liam, or just four? I wouldn't be imagine bonus point, but certainly four points, yeah. I just think Munster, this is a delicate fixture for them. I think it's going to be unforced errors and turnovers here that could be, you know, have to be counteracted here a little bit from Munster Rugby. So hopefully the lessons have been learned from that Toulouse game. Northampton are coming in. And you know, Liam, they will be a, they're a proud rugby club, proud rugby town. They will be looking to bounce back in front of their home crowd. So Munster do need to be on guard here a little bit that there will be a little bit of a kind of a response particularly if likes of Courtney Laws will be playing but again if Munster can absorb the first 15-20 minutes here and really play the game in the right areas can't see why not Munster can't secure a bonus point win here I think the the potential is there I think Graham Rountree and management will avoid uh, up the team no end and I think this is a game that really needs a good performance of Munster heading into a very tough festive period, particularly with the Leinster and Ulster fixture. So 
I'll go Munster. I'll go bonus point here, and I will go probably seven points here against Northampton Saints. And then the final game at 5.30 is Harlequins Racing 92. Two teams that really do need a win here, uh, to keep their European hopes alive. Yeah, and two mercurial talents, I suppose, in, in Finn Russell and uh, Marcus Smith yeah. as well. So that, that's definitely something that, that's intriguing for me to see too. But uh, yeah, as you say, look, um, Harlequins, you know, they were, they, were, they were battling, but they ultimately, they, you know, they didn't win by the less than seven points the last day out against the Sharks. Then we had a horror show, of course, from last year, 92. I, I, think, I think, again, this is crazy as it might seem, but I mean, Harlequins, well capable of getting the win, the win in, in style. And again, Racing pretty much like, like cast out after two games, essentially. So you're tipping Harlequins here, uh, Liam? I am, I am, and 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 as I said, the potentially racing to be to be gone from Europe this season after that. Yeah, I think that's going to be a massive, massive shock in European Cup rugby if that is the case. But again, Liam, look at the tail of the tape last weekend. It was a horror show. I don't know who's more impacted by the travel arrangements here. Was it Racing Ninety Two or Lancer Rugby? I mean, granted, Racing Ninety Two travelled from Paris all the way up north France to La Havre, never turned up. You know, in terms but you see, of the thing, the thing is, I mean, the French teams are notoriously bad at travel. You know, even for away French fixtures. So for them to go to La Havre, you know, honestly, they may have been going to fucking Brussels. You know, <laughs> it would have been been the same thing, really. You know, oh, absolutely. Like I'm googling here, like Paris to La Havre. Bear with me here, podcast viewers. It's two hundred kilometers, jaunt from Paris to La Havre. So I mean. You know, it wasn't as if they picked kind of a nice ideal kind of area here. They didn't even pick Cannes or Rennes or something like that. So I think from that perspective, it was a horror show. Let's cut to the chase here. Leinster were very good, excellent in their ball in hand, front five on front foot. But look look at the penalty count. Look at the indiscipline here from Racing 92. The pack had no answers. And when Racing 92 and their pack goes backwards... It's 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 curtains for Racing 92, regardless of how talented a backline or Finn Russell they have. It just doesn't, you know, this time of year, it's all about pack platform. And I think they do have a bit of a chance here, though, Liam. You know, Harlequins will give you opportunities to score. They're very expansive, but they do give you opportunities. So I think it'll be topsy-turvy. I think there's a bonus point here each for both uh, Racing 92 and Harlequins. I think Harlequins will just shade it. Would not be surprised if Racing 92 did nick it, but I think there's no more than three, four points in it, maybe 35, 32. You know, particularly if it's a dry day in the stoop, I think it's primed to be probably the round of the fixture of the round. So, look, it's all very exciting, and I think we'll definitely see a form line here in terms of that for next week anyway. In terms of Connacht, uh, I mean, that was a great win for them uh, in terms of Newcastle Falcons, resting an awful lot of marquee players. And they have a quick turnaround on Friday night to play Breathe, uh, Liam. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of a reunion here with the likes of Sammy Arnold and a few others. Do you give Connacht an opportunity here to beat Breathe away? Yeah, I mean, look, look. if, if we be honest about it, in terms of the Challenge Cup, Connacht would be one of the, the big names, I suppose, now, essentially. Um, so I, th- I think they have a really good chance of going away and, and notching up their second victory in the season's competition. Yeah, big time, I have to say so. Yeah, because, I mean, kind of brief, it's... Particularly when you get to Challenge Cup here, Liam, 
sometimes it can be very kind of topsy-turvy, particularly with the French sides in that competition, what kind of mindset they are in. And for Cardiff Rugby to put 41 points past Breve last Saturday kind of suggests everything for me, that Breve just are not interested in this Challenge Cup competition. Granted, Connacht did rest players, but I mean, I think from a Connacht Rugby perspective, it's a massive opportunity for them to get deep into this competition. I think Breve really are not going to offer much. They may put in a few first-teamers just to keep themselves ticking over ahead of the 23rd of December fixture against Claremont Auvergne, and then they have Leon on New Year's Eve. But I think Breve's priority is firmly on their French domestic form, to be perfectly honest. So I think Connacht have a great chance here, provided that they produce a performance. So I think Connacht, for me, by maybe 5-10 points here. So, you know, and that will be a superb return here for Connacht Rugby going into the new year. Liam, we'll leave it at that anyway. I mean, it was a pretty lengthy one in terms of uh, Munster to lose analysis. But again, next week we'll have a review, a recap in terms of Champions Cup and also the Challenge Cup and see who are the winners, who are the losers from the first two rounds and maybe have a look ahead in terms of uh, URC and some end of year kind of reflections from you, uh, Liam, as the podcast kind of turns one uh, next week. But Liam, sure. many thanks. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Mark. Okay, good luck. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles, and reports.